Welcome to Famous with Kate and Liz. Welcome back to Rant and Rave, because um, we're we're back to talk about wrongful convictions. And yeah. um, sadly, there's just so many to choose from that we could just, I mean, there are actually like podcasts, I'm sure, devoted specifically to wrongful conviction cases. Um, Absolutely. And documentaries yeah. and yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. between us like discussing and researching, I am remembering so many good ones. And when I say good, I mean like stories, but bad. <laughs> yeah. Justice. yeah. 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 Great, great stories makes a great story. And then you realize this really happened to like real human beings. And it's the worst nightmare. I outrageous. Mean. Yeah. Yeah. Worst case scenario. Oh, um, so we're back. And this week you are going to take the reins on the story because I'm still I'm still working on mine. I'm going through a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of cases. Uh, it's going to be hard to choose. So I'm excited for your case this week. Yeah, I can sit that's back fun. and relax. This one's kind of a current one. Um, yeah. So before we get into that, you guys, uh, if you are enjoying the series, uh, you know, please just share it, tell a friend, uh, post about it. Uh, you can leave us a review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also send us ideas for our next series on Instagram um, at Famous Kate and Liz, Kate with a C. And you can also send it to our Gmail, same thing at gmail.com. Yes, we love we love the suggestions. Um, Amber V, shout out, has probably given us what sixty percent of our yeah. <laughs> our ideas. More, more, more. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's a national treasure, national treasure, Amber V. So thank you. Be like Amber, um, and yeah, yeah. You guys keep the conversation the alive. Then send us an idea. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. 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 Okay. I am relaxed. I have a pillow. I've got my wine. Oh, it's the new year. It's a new me. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. I don't. Yeah. I don't do I resolutions. My gravity blanket here that I got for Christmas mm. is amazing. And so I might just fall asleep mid-sentence, but we're gonna try not to because. This is a very important case. It's been in the news lately. It's been in the headlines um, as recently as November of just this past year, 2021. Um, and this is the story of the wrongful conviction of Anthony Broadwater. And the reason it's been in the headlines is because he was exonerated in the rape case against um, author Alice Siebold. And she's a pretty famous author. We'll talk about some of her works um, mm. in a little bit. So, um, you know, I think people know her name and know um, her work. So that's why it's gotten a lot more attention. Um, But I have um, sources I'd like to quote because I'm going to follow them very closely. I had a good (laughs) New York Times article by Karen Zrake and Alexandra Alter. And there was one other article. Um from NPR by Andrew Limbaugh. Of course. Of course. Good. Okay. Yay. I only know, like, I never went deeper than the headlines of what I saw about this case, which I'm so glad I 
was lazy, apparently, when I was reading those headlines, because that's all I know. Headlines, Alice Siebold, author, caught my eye, and then, wow, that's a pretty fucked up story. Keep yeah, scrolling. Yeah, I didn't even know, I didn't know that she was a rape victim and, like, had written about it or anything. Like, um, I know her. She's the author of The Lovely Bones. Um, mm-hmm. She also has a memoir, Lucky, which is about her rape. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I remember those books were really big back in the day, like maybe high school for us or college. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it was more high school. And I definitely read Lovely Bones. Mm -hmm. Don't remember if I read Lucky. I can't remember my maybe I started it. Maybe I finished it. I don't know. I can't even tell you a book. The last book I read. I don't know. So um, who's who's to know? Who's to know? It's a really good book. They made it into a movie. It's a good movie, too. The Lovely Bones. I also haven't read Mm -hmm. Lucky. Um, So, yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. So The Rape of Alice Siebel took place in 1981 um, in a Syracuse, New York park when she was a freshman at Syracuse University. And she later goes on to describe it in raw detail in her memoir, Lucky which was published about 20 years after it occurred. Um, Oh, okay. Tragic, like horrible. Horrible. Um, That book launched her career. And then, like I said, she went on to like international fame because of The Lovely Bones, um, a novel that also centers around sexual assault. And um, the man who was convicted of her attack, who we're going to talk about today, was Anthony J. Broadwater. He had always maintained his innocence. um, And in November 2021, he he was exonerated. um, And a state judge, his defense lawyers, and the, oh, God, you might know the name of this, the Onondaga County? Onondaga. Yeah, Onondaga. (laughs) Yay! The East? (laughs) New York? Onondaga County Attorney all agreed that the case against him had been woefully flawed. Um, Oh, God. It's like all it takes is somebody to look in, like, literally just flip through a couple pages and be like, oh, damn, this is crazy. Like, let's, we didn't even really get into statistics last week. Maybe I'll do something about that just, like, at the top of my episode. Just, like, how many and this is like just like kind of a new like the innocence project has been around for a little while but in history it's a new thing you know so god who knows how many people really are wrongfully convicted it's like so scary to think about when it the process like we talked about last time you know takes so long you know these appeals everything um so anyways um yes So these were the headlines that were coming out back in this past November. Um, And this is what Anthony Broadwater, who was age 61 at the time, said in an interview. Um, It's it's a long day coming, basically. Uh, And he talked about how he had faced a lot of stigma and isolation because he had been a registered sex offender. So he spent 16 years in prison, but then was released. but still, right, but then had to register and then you're the neighborhood creep and no, you know, everybody looks at you and that's exactly nobody wants to be that. around you. I, I I mean, you might as well be in prison. 
Yeah. He said, um, on my, on my two hands, I can count the people that allowed me to grace their homes and dinners and I don't get past 10. That's very traumatic to me. You know, like just lost all, all trust and respect of everyone you've ever known. Um, you know, my God, Oh, I'm sure family turned, you know, some of their family members probably turned. Oh, absolutely. I have children. I'm not bringing my kids to a sex offender, registered sex offenders house. You can't. Like, sorry, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he spent 16 years in prison, but after he got released, he did get married. Um, and you know, but he, he just found himself very cut off from other opportunities that, a normal person would have. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in her memoir, um, we'll get into that for a little bit, um, which was published in 1999, Al Siebel writes about how she told campus security about the attack right away and went to the police. Um, after evidence was collected from a rape kit, she described her assailant's features to the police, but the resulting composite sketch didn't resemble him is what she wrote. Um, Months later, Anthony Broadwater was arrested after Alice Siebel passed him on the street and contacted police saying she may have seen her attacker. Uh, Uh, Because he was what? Wearing a hoodie? Like, (laughs) I mean, I guess, yeah, if you went through a traumatic experience and someone you saw in passing gave you a feeling, I'm sure you would be like, oh, my God that's the person. So I don't want to like, you know, totally discount that she had a completely traumatic experience and it was horrible and should never happen. But like the way this all plays out sounds enraging. It really is. And yes, exactly. I think, you know, there's all, we also have to say, mention that she is white and he is a black man, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Syracuse, New York, uh, you know, just like I, you know, you don't know what necessarily what the culture is like at that time and whatnot, and these inherent biases that we have, like we were saying. Yeah, well, I mean, the culture is still like that, sadly, in right. America. So I, you know, it's like, yeah, I can see this happening right now as we speak. Really. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and go sad. through trauma, and you may not remember. You mean, you know, there's so much emotion tied to it. You may. Yeah. You have one thing or maybe you saw one part, a glimpse of one thing, but not a full picture. So, yeah, I can I agree. Like, I can see how she would, you know, want to contact the police if she thought she saw her attacker. Right, right, right. Um, So when she came in to do the police lineup, she identified a different man as her attacker. Um, Okay. Not Anthony Broadwater, um, even though he was Part of the lineup. Um, she wrote in her memoir that um, Anthony Broadwater and the man next to him looked alike. And at moments after she made her choice, she felt like she had picked the wrong man. She later identified Mr. or Anthony Broadwater in court. Oh, I mean, I could in that position, if you put yourself in her position, I mean, I second guess like the most mundane things humanly possible and you think a victim of something is like not gonna second guess like potentially putting somebody to trial over this crime you know that's like 
the other worst nightmare other than like being wrongfully convicted is like being the reason somebody is wrongfully exactly. convicted. Exactly. And I think, Ugh. you know, um, I read something else. I think she talks about it in her memoir. I, I don't have it next to my notes, but it, it might be in here somewhere um, that like the prosecution team maybe was also kind of being a little confusing. Like they were like, oh, those two guys are friends and they're doing that to trick you, you know, like standing next to each other to trick you. Um, right. So you don't know also what, what the person who's doing the identifying is hearing um, from the authorities or the prosecution team or whatever, you know? So she's kind of second guessing herself anyways, because someone's telling her to. Right. And a lot of these wrongful conviction cases are due to misidentifying, you know, in a lineup or police persuasion during a, a lineup, showing photos of a person and then doing a lineup. And that's the only same person. Like there's tricks that psychologically the cops have learned to do if they're like, all right, let's pin it on this guy and then make it so that this witness identifies that person. There you go done and done like mm -hmm. case closed or or she said something, this is close enough to that that it has to be this you know um, right right exactly yeah 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 Oof. so um anthony broadwater had been back in syracuse he, he had just returned home to syracuse after a stint serving in the marine corps in california when he was arrested and he was only 20 years old at the time Okay. Uh, he had come home because his father was ill and his father's health only worsened during the trial. And then he died oh. shortly after Anthony was sent to prison. Oh so. my God. I'm sure that took a toll on his health. Yeah. And I'm sure he didn't, you know, this man's now, Anthony's now been denied probably those last moments with his father, you know, yep. dying father. Yep. Damn. Okay, so in her memoir, um, Alice Siebel does use a fictitious name for Anthony Broadwater. Um, she identifies him as um, Gregory Madison. Oh, okay. So at least his name is not, like, to live on in these books. Right, right. I think, you know, probably because of her notoriety maybe that like it was probably easy to put together you know like if you really looked right it, right right if if you really wanted to know you could figure out right, right. but I like, think it was smart of her conviction and trial probably yeah exactly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. try to um yeah give him an alias so um when his when Anthony's defense lawyers, uh, J. David Hammond and Melissa Schwartz, um, filed their motion to vacate the conviction, they wrote that the case had relied solely on Al Siebel's identification of Anthony Broadwater in the courtroom and a now discredited method of microscopic hair analysis. So, like, the two things, right, that are just, like known for wrongful convictions happen in this right case. right no and we were talking about it before if you're on a jury and you hear oh this person's dna was on this in your mind you're not even going to listen to anything else they have to say if that person's dna was on such and such you know thing of evidence 
boom, they did it. And then and if so, in the courtroom in front of your eyes, the, the victim is pointing mm-hmm. to someone saying, yes, that's the person who did it. Boom. Case closed. You're guilty. It, it, you know, it's just like that should not be the only thing a case rests on. I mean, yeah. and it's I wild. I don't know why governments, I'm sure, because this would be super expensive, but like every time a method of analysis is like discredited, why don't we have some team looking back on all the cases yes. that use that, you know, and reevaluating yeah. the evidence? You know, if we are now saying that we aren't going to accept this microscopic hair analysis anymore, then like, why aren't people going back and looking at these? Why is it up to like, the person who's convicted to spend money right. time to, on their own innocence. <laughs> right. Or, or the innocence project somehow yeah. hears about you or like I was reading a case of, well, a few cases like um, certain people at newspapers will like really start looking into your case and that will actually bring attention back to a case saying like, wait a minute, this case happened 30 years ago. And like, this is what the whole case stood on and we can like disprove that at this point just scientifically with the advancements we have yada 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 um or another thing I saw in a lot of articles I read was um like uh college level journalism courses Mm -hmm. who you know they're just like kind of researching court cases and you know somebody just randomly stumbles upon a case and then the whole class or journalism team you know whatever um would bring a case back to light and it's really like credited to them but uh, if you're not lucky enough because I mean god I just can't help but think about all the cases that are not you know being re-examined and it's one of the Just, um, one of the innocent projects cases that I didn't do last week, but I had planned to include. It was a college journalism uh, class. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That brought Very it back to me. But you, yeah, it just takes someone who is going to put the time and the effort into looking into something. You know. Um, so yeah. Uh, The defense lawyers, Hammond and Schwartz, um, also argued that prosecutorial misconduct was a factor during the police lineup. Um, And this is what I was talking about earlier, because the prosecutor had falsely told Al Siebel that Anthony Broadwater and the man next to him were friends and had purposely appeared in the lineup together to trick her. Um, Mm. So, you know, he lied to her about that, which could have influenced her decision making. Um, the motion to vacate the conviction was joined by the district attorney, William um, Fitzpatrick, who noted that the witness identifications of strangers, particularly those that cross racial lines, are often unreliable. So I thought that was interesting that he, like, you know, brought in the race factor because it's very true, you know. Yep. Yep. Still happening. (laughs) Yep. And um, the DA said, I'm not going to sully these proceedings by saying I'm sorry. Uh, That doesn't cut it. This should have never happened. You know, so at least kind of take accountability for his department. You know, he probably wasn't the DA at the time, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've read a few articles of, you know, judges 
publicly apologizing and then sometimes not publicly apologizing and still, you know, sticking with their guns because heaven forbid they were wrong and made a mistake. Um, Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's good. Yes. So state Supreme Court Justice Gore. Gordon Cuffey also agreed and overturned Anthony Broadwater's conviction, which was for first degree rape and five related charges. And he will no longer be categorized as a sex offender. Um, Yeah. So after the exoneration, a spokesperson for Alice Siebold and the publisher of Lucky, her memoir, said that the publisher had no plans to update the text after the exoneration of um, Anthony Broadwater. Which, I mean, is kind of, you know, there's another development that we'll get to a little bit later. But, like, this is a tough one because they use an alias, right? Um, yeah. So that it's, like we were saying, they it's not his name, but it's probably, if you did the research, you could connect it and find out who it was. Um, so, yeah, you know, like, I don't know. You know, I think, like, maybe a, a little publisher's note is is granted. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I guess if it's still the story of what happened to her, like something did happen to her. I mean, we have to believe that something, you know, she did have this traumatic experience. So, but she also talks about, you know, her misidentification in the lineup and like these other things that in her book. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So, in the, okay. So, I didn't know how like specific the book got okay yeah so I think that's the other thing is like these things that have been proven to exonerate him are in your book also so they'll Mm -hmm. almost yeah anyways um so Anthony had always insisted that he was innocent and was denied several or denied parole several times um because he refused to acknowledge his guilt he took two polygraph tests decades apart with experts who determined that his account was truthful. Um, And this is crazy because I didn't realize they will not give you parole. If you say you you're, you have, you're not guilty to take um, accountability for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like, for some reason that just never like clicked with me. And a lot of the cases I read, were like they were up for parole this many times and they just never would and you know you do have a lot of the stories too where people are like yes I did it Mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god if someone's saying they're guilty then they're guilty like why would I question that but yeah Yeah. then you learn about all the ways that they can coerce confessions and I mean so many things um plea you know doing a plea deal yada 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 um so that was another kind of eye-opening thing with Mm -hmm. me for this whole series um is that you know these people were like yeah I might be able to get parole if I say yeah okay I did it and I'm so sorry forgive me and then you'll be on parole but could you say you did something so horrible that you never did like right what a mind fuck it seriously is a mind fuck. Like it really comes down to like, what kind of person are you? Are you going to like, you know, stick to your guns and be like, I know I did not do this. And if that means spending the rest of my life in prison, then I'm going to do that. Or is it like, okay, 
I just need to get out of here because this place is hell and I'll say whatever it is, you know, to get out of here. Right, right. And there's no right or wrong way. I mean, none of us know what we would do in such a horrific situation. So, yeah. Yeah. Mindfuck is the perfect, perfect way to describe that. Um, uh, So, yeah, I, I should also note that even though, you know, interesting enough that they added in this article about his two polygraph tests that said he was truthful polygraph tests aren't really used. Um, they're not allowed in court in most cases right. because they're only like, right. I think, I think they used to be like, Oh my God, a polygraph test. And now it's like, yeah, no, like that's not even admissible in court. No, I think so. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so how did this case get cracked? Cracking the case. Um, Interestingly enough, a film adaptation of Lucky played a role in raising the doubts about the case against Anthony Hotwater. Wait. <laughs> Wait, okay, so there is a movie of from Lucky, uh, Lovely Bones. Yes. Lucky Bones. Um, I don't think I ever saw it. Definitely I- read the book, but don't don't think I saw the movie. Did you? Yeah, I saw the movie. It was good too. I mean, like. For you know, the movie's never as good as the book, right? But like, right, it was right, pretty good. I thought, okay, interesting. So, because I was asking you before, did they is there a movie for Lucky? And you're like, just wait. And now we are at the point where I have waited, I've been patient, and um, come to find out they were planning, they were planning this movie, they and this planning. is how like all yeah. this came up. Yeah, it played a role. Yeah, exactly. I'm shocked. Yeah. Yes. So, um, okay, I'm like the worst at saying people's last names. So I'm just going to say this name as best as I can. But this man named Timothy Musient. 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 Either Right, right. Say, I don't that was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> uh, so he was working as an executive producer on the adaptation of Lucky to be made into a film, but he began to question the story that the movie was based on earlier this year after he noticed discrepancies between the memoir and the script. Um, Whoa. This guy is a true crime fan. (laughs) Right. We were saying it just takes one person to, like, really look into it, you know? Um. Yeah, so he said, I started having some doubts, not about the story that Alice told about her assault, which was tragic, but the second part of her book about the trial, which didn't hang together. Um, Whoa, okay. Loving Timothy. Loving him. So Timothy said that he ended up leaving the production in June because of his skepticism (gasps) about case and how it was being portrayed oh my god so he was like dude if you're willing to leave a job like in hollywood yeah in the this day and age like and it's like wow. such a book you know being moved into a movie mm-hmm. we're definitely gonna see that um but did timothy stop there kate did he just no quit please tell me there? he didn't oh my god did he become like a public defender <laughs> what no. did he do what did timothy do he hired a private investigator. No, no. Oh my God, this is the movie. Yes. This is the movie. Timothy, Timmy Boy is the movie. 
Musiante Mutant, Timothy. <laughs> he hired a private investigator named Dan Myers, who spent 20 years working for the, what's the name of the county? Onondaga? Onondaga. <laughs> Onondaga, yeah. Oh my God, this is like my dream is to become like a private investigator. Nobody would ever suspect little old me, right? Like I always think about this. Yeah, like, very. I could be the best private spy. Like I'm the next James Bond. You should totally be a private investigator. <laughs> like who would suspect me in my 2007 Toyota Corolla? Driving down the street, blasting like 2000s hits. <laughs> okay. Nobody. Yep. It's long, you know, very, they make you even more unsuspecting. <laughs> my kids. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. I could be cracking cases all over this town. Wow. Okay. I'm going to put that on my list of things to do for 2022. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Private eye. Private eye. Private eye. Oh, yeah. So I think most private eyes actually do have some law enforcement background, like Dan Myers. Uh, he spent 20 years working for the county sheriff's office, um, and he retired as a detective in 2020. Um, so Timothy hired him to look into the evidence against Anthony Broadwater, and the private eye, Dan Myers, became convinced of his innocence Oh, uh, God, that, I love this for them. I love this for it's them. It's so crazy how this happened. Like, this this Hollywood script, you know, is really what led to this man's innocence. So, um, damn, probably, now I know why you were like, just <laughs> wait, just wait. Like, you wouldn't even tell me. <laughs> I couldn't. Uh, I needed to <sighs> react live on air. <laughs> it's better. It's better than I ever could have imagined. Right. So, thank you. Right. Um, so the private eyes suggested they bring the evidence um, that they had collected to a lawyer and he recommended um, the defense lawyer Hammond, who we mentioned, uh, mentioned earlier. He reviewed uh, the investigation and agreed there was a very strong case. Um, and around that same time, Anthony Broadwater had desired, decided to hire Hammond based on the recommendation of an, another local lawyer. So two people, you know, his his case came to this defense lawyer in two different ways. Um why? Uh, Timothy's production company, Red Badge Films, is now working on a documentary about the case called <gasps> Bucky. Oh my God, it's my dream come true. Did I not just say this is all I wanted in my life and now it's happening? This is the movie. <laughs> It's going to be amazing. It is the movie. You were so right. You oh. came that all within just like the last five minutes of hearing this. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I mean, how many true crime documentaries can I see on Netflix alone? Oh. I mean, exactly. I can't wait for this. And I'm going to forget about it. And then it's going to be on Netflix or whatever oh streaming God. service. I and I'm going to be like. Oh my God, this is it. This is, oh my God, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. So it's called Unlucky and it's being done with a second production company called Red Hawk Films. And Anthony, as well as people who helped vacate his conviction, are going to participate in it. Oh God, I love this for them so much. <sighs> um, so yeah, that is the crazy story of how the 
case was cracked. Um, but then we'll talk a little bit about what happened um, after his exoneration and the impact that's, you know, this has all had on Anthony's life. Yes. Um, so he was released in 1998 and he began scrimping and saving to hire lawyer after lawyer to try to prove his innocence. Um he, like I said, he got married to a woman named Elizabeth. Nice name. <laughs> and uh, Ooh. Ooh. They, shout out, Elizabeth. But they felt like they couldn't have children because of the stigma of his conviction. And they didn't like, you know. Oh, my kids. God. Oh, that's heartbreaking. That's heart. That is heart wrenching. So right after there. the generation, um, Anthony says, um, I just hope and pray that maybe Miss Siebold will come forward and say, hey, I made a grave mistake and give me an apology. I sympathize, I sympathize with her, but she was wrong. Um, so that was like immediately after the exoneration. I think those were mm. like all the headlines that we saw, the first, the first round of headlines. And this is the other thing that I will never get over is how these mostly men come out of you know, they f- are found, oh, sorry, you're actually innocent. Sorry, you've been in jail for 20 years. Like, you were innocent the whole time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and they're just, like, so humble and and just, like. I know, I know they can be it's, so ruined, you know, like, just yeah. their souls. <laughs> and yeah, you would assume they would just be so angry and, you know, want revenge, but in most of the things I read, I think everything I've read so far is just like how grateful they are to have their second chance. And I'm like, you didn't even do anything. What do you mean? Second chance? Like it really puts things into perspective. You're like, yeah, worst fear happening, you know, and I'm living my worst fear and you know, I'm going to come out. You're right. Like you could be totally vengeful, but people, I think, I think there are also so beaten down by the experience too, that it's just like, I just yeah. want justice and I want justice and I want what's due to, owed to me, but like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did, I did read one, um, you know, like firsthand account, um, you know, and they were like, I spent so much time in prison, like working on myself and reading that, like, once I got out, I just knew like, why be mad? Mm-hmm. I don't want to live the rest of my only, like, who knows how long of free time, you know, like being bitter yep. and angry. So exactly. Um, I've already wasted so much time, you know, mm-hmm. feeling that way. Um, yep. Not that that's a waste, you know, they shouldn't have been there in the first place, but. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I know what you mean. Okay. So um, then like, Eight days later, a flurry of new headlines came out because Alice Siebold apologized. Um, okay, so so he made a statement mm-hmm. saying, I hope she apologizes, like I've been cleared. Yeah. You know, the least she can do is apologize. Okay, so then eight days later, this is when, this is really what got the headlines, right? Yeah. Is after she apologized, I feel like. So because, yeah, it was like, you know, when the publisher said, we're not going to change anything. Like it was, it made some headlines, but it was just like that. She was quiet on it. So, she, you know, the the next part of the story would be her commenting in some way. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so this is uh, from NPR, the Andrew Limbong um, story. And um, but yeah, it took four day four decades after identifying the wrong person as the man who raped her in college. Um, you know, before Al Siebold apologized and her publishers said they would stop distributing the 1999 memoir. Uh, Lucky. Oh, okay. So yep, that's what's happening to Lucky. Okay. That- you're like no movie. I don't. I don't believe there's gonna be a movie. Uh, and and they're not gonna publish anymore. I would imagine. I mean, unlucky. Let's all support unlucky right. when right. that comes out. Love yeah, that. Okay. Decades. Like you know, this poor man. Like yeah, 16 years in prison, and then a a lifetime after that. Really. Um, oh my god. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like and and she this whole time is spending four decades thinking the right person is in jail for her or in prison for her. You know her rape and that she got justice. Mm. Right. Which, which I think like, especially if you had a physical attack like that, you would feel so much safer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you were just walking around thinking, Oh my God, this guy, I could still be out here. I mean, God, I would never leave my house. So maybe it at least gave her a peace of mind, but uh, did you know it was the wrong person? Like, God, God. That, that's the thing with this case. It's like, you can put yourself in like, kind of you can see it from either side like how just mm-hmm. horrible it is for both of them just like it's just a sad sad story <laughs> like she, I feel like she had to say something horrible. once you know this exoneration uh, happened. yes you know like it oh my god I would be like forever you can have everything like what do you need tell me like I will get you anything you need for the rest of your life I owe you everything like I wouldn't I would I would not be able to live like <laughs> No, I know. Knowing that I caused that to happen. Yeah, the second worst thing. So um, so her her apology says, in it she says, first I want to say that I'm truly sorry to Anthony Broadwater and I deeply regret what you you have been through. I'm sorry most of all for the fact that the life you could have led was unjustly robbed from you. And I know that no apology can change what happened to you and never will. Of the many things I wish for you, I hope most of all that you and your family will be granted the time and privacy to heal. Um, <sighs> so yeah, the um, Scrib- Scribner and Simon and Simon and Schuster, blah, the publishers, too many S's in that name, <laughs> said they would a lot. cease distribution of all formats of Lucky, um, and but they are working on a way to consider how to revise it so they are like scrapping it for now but they might revise it with with Siebold and um the publisher to make it more accurate or whatever to get it to a point where they would feel comfortable redistributing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay good call Simon and Schuster yeah and her her um apology also acknowledged the role that race played in the wrongful conviction um alice said today american society is starting to acknowledge and address the systemic issues uh in our judicial system that too often means that that justice for some comes at the expense of others unfortunately this was not a debate or a conversation or even a whisper when i reported my rape in 1981 Man, I mean, like I said, this is still going on, but I'm sure it was so much worse in 1981. I can't even, yeah, can't even imagine. She also acknowledged, you know, the limited employment prospects, um, 
you know, that he's had since his release. Um, and she said that not only did Anthony Broadwater serve 16 years behind bars, but called the lingering effects from it nearly a full life sentence. So like you said, kind of at the beginning of this episode, he really ha- was convicted to a life sentence because even though he wasn't physically in prison, that shit care, you know, follows you and ca- is carried with mm-hmm. you. Everyone knows about it. Yeah. That was because it was 16 years in prison, but then more outside of prison before all this came. Yeah. So, yeah. And and in some ways, it's like, what's worse, being in a prison, like, just living out in the free world where you're not really free or just, like, being actually in a prison prison? Like, I don't know. I wouldn't want, obviously want to be in either, but they both sound pretty fucking horrible. Right. I mean, like what he really was robbed of the life he could have had. Remember mm-hmm. he was a, a Marine, you know, like he, yep, he de- never had a family because of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Anthony did an interview with the New York Times after the apology and said, uh, he was relieved and grateful for Al Siebel's apology. He said, it took a lot of courage, and I guess she's brave and weathering through the storm like I am. Uh, To make this statement, it's a strong thing for her to do, understanding that she was a victim and I was a victim, too. Yes. Yes, exactly. Also, like I've been saying, they're both. They are both victims. Both victims, both completely just lives. Yeah. In In totally different ways, but so tragic. Yeah, we'll be forever tied to each other. This, these two, mm-hmm. I can see why a lot of, um, you know, the accusers in these cases go on to help the wrong, you know, the people who were wrongfully convicted because they must just have this guilt and, you know, um, need to do something to, you know, help give them some semblance of their life back. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, that's what has been in the headlines lately about Anthony Broadwater and Alice Siebel, the, uh, the author, um, and his exoneration from her rape. And yeah, I, I also did not know a lot about this had only read headlines and like knew her as the, you know, the lovely bones author, but yeah, it was, it was very, very much more, uh, <laughs> than I had even imagined. <laughs> Yeah, very dramatic. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I got to step up my game. What am I going to do? What am I going to do next week? Um, I got to come with a story or two. This is this is wild. That was so good. I just didn't realize how twisty and turny and private investigatory it was I know I guess <laughs> all Hollywood execs are like Weinstein you know some are actually <laughs> solving cold cases and exonerating yeah <laughs> yes like this seriously and Timothy being like I can't let this go you know like just like yeah. couldn't let it go and it was probably bothering him he's like had the the means to hire a private investigator uh-huh. and like he didn't know Anthony Broadwater you know like but he did something that you know is the reason he's free you know free you know from the stigma today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow wow excellent and I know like I was saying before there's you know countless podcasts about wrongful convictions and maybe I'll try to come up with a list of um you know, different series that they have because some of these investigative series into, you know, 
these wrongful conviction cases or somebody made a podcast and then that led to, Mm -hmm. you know, more kind of like looking into a case. Oh, hmm, maybe we should look into this. And then boom, someone's exonerated because of a podcast. So listen, we're just doing God's work over here. (laughs) We can't help it. (laughs) Doing God's work. Uh, no, it's so true. And I, you know, I was reminded when you brought up um, the chorus confession, the confession tapes on Netflix, which was a pretty phase where there were definitely a couple of them that I'm just like, I don't know, you know, and others were like, okay, yes, definitely. They were coerced, but that was a really good series. Um, and I think it's all just so psychological and no one knows what they would do or say unless they were right. in situation exactly I mean it's so all of these cases you hear about they you know oh they they admitted and they confessed in a taped interview or whatever like who would ever do that if they didn't really do it well they you know are interviewing you hours on end you're getting no sleep you're getting no food they're making you promises that they're not going to keep and you end up signing things you don't really know what's going on like there are so many things at play. You really don't know what you would do um, in that situation. And I hope nobody ever has to find out from this day forward. But of course, our justice system has a lot of work to do. So I feel like it's not the end of um, wrongful convictions. But on a positive note, I mean, I'm seeing at least on a weekly basis a story about, you know, somebody exonerated because of you know, new scientific, whatever, something in a case, you know, and people being, um, you know, breeder, like we were talking about last week, Kim Kardashian with her kind of being a voice and getting things rolling for, um, cases that she thinks somebody has been wrongfully convicted and there has been a miscarriage of justice. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're totally right. It's not going to be the end of it, but there is, you know, hopefully uh, we're in a new place where we can, you know, look into and prove that these are actually wrongful convictions and give people, you know, some of their lives, some of their life back. Yeah, yeah. And I did see that there was um, there was like a study and it, it said something like 2% to 10% of you know, people in prison are wrongfully mm. convicted, but it's like, that's a huge difference, like yeah. 2% to 10%. But of course it's more than 10%. Oh. I mean, I mean, it, one it, person, it's like too many. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Ugh. So just, we got work to do people. So, um, yeah, tune in next week and see what okay. I have. Rage again with us next week. We got one more rageathon going on. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. And then we'll have to do something like nice, <laughs> something <laughs> non-ragey. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So thanks for listening, and um, come back next week. Bye. Bye.